you, Devin. Uh, this morning we have an opportunity to get back in our series in the book of Revelation, that last book in the book, the, the, the script, Holy Scriptures. We invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one, to turn to the book of Revelation. Just go far to your right until you hit the maps or the concordances, then you have to go back a little bit and, and find the book of Revelation. But anyway, this morning we're continuing the series, and I've entitled the message, Hit Pause, Be Challenged, and Comforted, and hopefully you'll understand what that means in, in a few moments. But before we do that, I, I guess what I want to do is, is say, have you gone through life at times where you just wonder, what just happened? Uh, you're just kind of confused by it, and then the experience or the experience of others. And then after you discover the details of what happened, you wonder, well, why did that happen? Now, last week I, I told you a story that had happened last week to me when I was riding a bicycle, and you, I told you what happened and why it happened. My brakes went out. Uh, but we had another experience in the pastor's family this week, uh, and it wasn't me, it was my lovely wife. Uh, we were here on Saturday morning, I had to leave early for an appointment, and, and uh, she came home a few hours later, and uh, she came through the front doors and said, guess what happened? I go, what? I got rear-ended in my car. And, and you know, of course, that's not enough. Well, tell me a little bit more about what happened. And, um, and then at the end, I also want to know, why did that happen? But she was uh, driving home from um, a workday here and getting some things ready for the drama for the vacation Bible school. And she was just driving down Molten, getting to El Toro to make a right. And there was a van in front of her two lanes over that decided to come two lanes onto her lane and without a blinker or whatever. And she navigated that and then thought he was going to go straight. But the last moment, he decided to get in the right-hand turn lane and came right over. Uh, and then it looked like he was going to turn right, but then he decided he wanted to go into the the um, gas station, so he slammed on his brakes and turned right. Well, she navigated uh, slamming on her brakes, not to hit him, but the car behind her did not, and slammed into her, and so then uh, they both went into that same gas station. The guy in the van decided, you know, I think I just realized what I did. I'm leaving, and so he took off, um, but the good news was uh, really there wasn't any damage on any of the cars, and except for Alice being tempted to put this round thing around her neck, and ask for a lawyer, you know, uh, uh, she's, she's okay, okay? So no damage to the car, no permanent damage to, to, to Alice as well. But, you know, what happened? You got, in a, you got, you got rear-ended. You know, well, why did that happen? Were you not watching, or what, what happened? Well, it wasn't really the guy who hit her's fault too much. It was really the person in front of her that did some strange things that caused the accident. Well, you know, that's, that's kind of how life happens at times, you know? When I was riding my bicycle, I wasn't expecting for me being unable to stop it. But I, you know, what caused it is the brakes went out. And what caused the rear ending of Alice was the person in front of her in which the person behind her could not see all these strange things that were happening. But as minimal as that is, because no one really got hurt in our two experiences most recently, there are things that happen in the lives of people that, that cause a deep-seated just amazement about I can't believe about I can't believe what just happened and and even more so I can't understand why it happened and the things that really grip us of course is when we maybe have a a loved one that dies suddenly and probably the gravest concern of a of a parent is to have a child die before them or what's happened recently in our church family where where people have lost spouses just overnight, where they just didn't wake up in the morning, 
where you have a person with perfect health all of a sudden being diagnosed with a cancer that's inoperable and, and all those kind of things. And, you, and even when you hear it, you just, what happened? And, and then when they explain it, then you, you just begin to think, well, why did that happen? What's the cause of that? Well, as we struggle with that now, that has really been the struggle of people throughout the ages. And particularly if you begin to think beyond what would be just considered natural, if you do have a worldview, which simply means an understanding of how things are and how they came into being and what the future of the things that we experience now has, which is basically no purpose, no direct line, no design. It just happens by chance. If it happened by chance, it's going to end by chance. So why are you trying to figure out why things happen? But if you believe there's a supreme being, a God... Then you're convinced that, okay, if there is an all-powerful being, he must be powerful enough to kind of control what's happening. He brought it all into existence. Can he, can he, can he maneuver things around in a, in a wise way? So if you believe he's powerful, then the other solution or the other quandary is, okay, he could be all-powerful, but is he a good guy? Because he could have the power to do it, but if he's not motivated to do it, he won't do it. But if he has the power to do it and the quality of goodness to want to do it, then why doesn't he do it? Well, in many ways, that's what the book of Revelation kind of wrestles with. Because if you, if you read the book of Revelation with your mind as well as your heart, you're, you're not only lifted up, but you're bothered. And we've had those experiences where you're, sometimes you're, you're encouraged but challenged at the same time. And that, the bottom line of the message is that's, that's what I want us to see is that even with our relationship with God, there are going to be times where we're comforted and other times we're going to be challenged. Sometimes we're going to be encouraged and if we're honest, we're kind of discouraged. Sometimes we're driven to, to move out for God and, and sometimes we just need to be lifted up by God. And that's, that's the experience of John in the book of Revelation. So what I want to do is two things today. One, I want to give a little bit of a review, kind of a big review of Revelation, where, where we are right now in the middle of this book, or almost the middle of this book. And then just look at 11 verses where we left off a few weeks ago. Okay, where, where have we been? What, what is a Revelation review? Well, first of all, I just want to make this book as, as, as clear as I can make it, as I understand it. And God helps us out with this. He gives us a motivation to read it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 1. We'll kind of race through some things, though you won't have to look up too many passages in it. But in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, the motivation to read this book is, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. Now, if we put a period there, then most of us could qualify fairly easily. But then it says, And heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So the, let's just be honest, reading the Bible is not enough. It's the first step. But after we read it, then we have to, in the best of our ability, by the power of the Spirit, is to live it out. If we only hear it, or read it, or even study it, but don't have the passion to try by our own efforts and God's Spirit empowering us, it's not a work salvation, but it's a participation in living it out, then we will not get God's blessing. And God's blessing is experiencing God's fullness of life. You're all working on the verse for the month? You don't even know what the verse of the month is, right? Because um, we haven't said a whole lot about it. But John 10.10 10 is, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more, what? Abundantly. abundantly. So many of you know that verse, but we want you to do both sides of that verse, all right? 
So there's a blessing in this book, but how are we supposed to understand it? Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. God outlines it for us. Therefore, speaking uh, to John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. So this book is, is written uh, or kind of explained in this way. Uh, God is unveiling things to John. And uh, before uh, verse 19, how many verses are there before verse 19? 18. He says, okay, I've already spoken to you for 18 verses. And those things I have just said, I want you to write down. Okay? The things you have seen. In fact, what I told you, you actually visually were able to experience. Take the things you have seen and write that down. And then he says, now take the things which are. And that are is kind of a long present. Not only things that were true of, of the, the era of his um, writing of the book, first century um, uh, of, uh, of our calendar, but even in today, this whole era right now is the things that are. And they are, they are messages to the churches, the people falling after God. So write the things I've just told you and you've seen. Write the things that are, are in the present and then the things that will be. Now, the things that will be are the things in the future. Now, you can take the 22 chapters of Revelation and put that in a very simple outline. The first chapter, in the first 18 verses of the first chapter, are the things that he had seen. The next two chapters are the things which are. And then the rest of the book, uh, chapters, um, I don't even think I put it right, uh, I put 6 through 22. I should have put 4 through 22. I just saw this. I didn't even see it in the first service. But chapters 4 through 22 are the things which will be. Well, what were the things which were seen? And, and to put it as simply as possible, the things that were seen were Jesus in a whole different way. They now saw, and particularly John saw, Jesus in his power. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, this is Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And that probably never happened with John when he was with Jesus on the path of Palestine. He didn't, he didn't fall at the feet of Jesus in, in the way he did here, being overwhelmed by him and who he was and his power. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Uh, turn back to verse 8. This is how he saw the things that he had seen. Again, speaking of Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A to the Z, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, sometimes, you know, if you want to get in a conversation that could be kind of uh, intense, just ask somebody, say, well, who do you think Jesus is? And they'll answer it in a variety of different ways. Do you ever think of Jesus being the Almighty One? The all-powerful one? The one who was, but he's coming again? And unless they're a born-again Christian, they say, I never thought of Jesus that way, right? Well, that's, that's how John was clearly given the message about the things he had seen. He said, write this down. I want people to understand that Jesus is meek and mild, but he's powerful, and he's going to be the judge, and he's the one who is coming, and he is the one who's going to make everything that is wrong right. That's who Jesus is. That's the things that were seen. Chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things which are. And the things that are were the things that were true then and the things that continue to be true now because he spoke to churches. 
There were churches back then, and there are churches today. And God needs to speak to churches. Now, have you ever discovered that churches aren't perfect? Now, churches aren't perfect. Churches are a perfect place, but they're a perfect place for imperfect people. And so he's always correcting the churches as well as encouraging the churches through the letters of the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and others. Uh, and, and he gives some message to the churches that, that they needed to hear and we need to hear. And just summarizing the things that we spent weeks on. To the first church, the church of Ephesus, he says, you need to love God first. Now, that's a pretty plain message, isn't it? And he put it this way, you've left your first love. But I would say at the heart of most, if not every time, I would probably say every time we become disobedient to God is because at that point, we love what we want more than what he wants. Isn't that true? We decide, I want to go my way rather than your way. And when we do that, we say, I really love me more than I love you. And say, you have left your first love. You have other things that have crowded in on what grabs your attention and what grabs your priority. So love God first. And that was a healthy church. That was probably the healthiest church in terms of on the externals, the church at Ephesus. And he said, look, you're busy for me, but you're, you're strained because you don't love God first. And then really quickly, he, he spoke to a church that says, don't compromise. You're, you're doing real well, but, but don't. Don't go down a line and then begin to say, well, you know, it's, it's not that bad if I go this way or that way. God describes the, the way as being narrow and straight. And then he talks to another church and he said, you need to have convictions. What does it take for you to change what you understand the Bible says and says it clearly? It's either your experience or somebody else's experience. As soon as your experience doesn't seem to, 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 to come along a line with what what. God has said plainly. You'll say, well, maybe he didn't say it that plainly. Maybe I can give up. Maybe I can quit. Maybe I can go down another road. Have convictions. He talked to a church that was, was filled with more dead weight Christians, uh, if, if not unsaved people. And he, and he talked to the few people that said, well, you need to be alive in the midst of people not being on fire for God. And have you ever been around some Christians that, that were kind of lukewarm or, or really, really in, into it? And if they're drifting, it's so easy for you to drift. He says, be alive among the dead. And then he uh, spoke to a church that he, was, he, he really loved. He says, keep being faithful. And, you know, faithfulness is only as good as, you know, the last day you live, right? Because if, if you, you could have a whole history of being faithful, but that could be ruined, you know, at a decision. And then he spoke to the church at Laodicea. And I didn't put down seven here. One, two, three, four, five, six. So I must have missed one here. Is that he said... Believe and receive. Receive, believe, repent, believe, and receive. The Bible says, uh, this is a verse we had you memorize. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, open the door, and I will come in. And I will dine with him, and he with me. The relationship with God should be so personal that it's, it's like sitting down with God and having a, a meal with him and just enjoying his presence. Well, that's where we've been, at least in terms of the things that we're seeing, the things which are. But then there are things that are coming, the future. And on chapters 4 through 22, I, I really didn't write this outline very well. In, in chapters 4 through 22, things which will be, Jesus reveals what's coming. And, and this is the part when we really understand that it ought to, it ought to bother us as well as encourage us. At the same time. 
And so what happens in chapter 4? All of a sudden, everything changes, and he talks about what is to be. And he's caught up into heaven. He's caught up into heaven. And what he's caught up in heaven, it's not in the present, but in the, in the future heaven. And in the future heaven, he, he sees that God's church is there, representing the 24 elders. And he sees them worshiping, uh, worshiping how, how great God is because he's the creator God. And then in chapter 5, he's worshiping because he's the redeemer. But, but then all of a sudden, something happens, and they're, and they're bothered in heaven. You're thinking, why, why would people be bothered in heaven? Everything's perfect in heaven. Uh, because we're at a point in time when, when God has not unveiled everything, and he hasn't, he hasn't done everything that he has said he's going to do. And they see it in heaven. They see this book. And this book is the, is the opening up of the details of what is to come. But the problem is not, there, there's no one found who can open up this book. And they look everywhere within the angelic realm and the human realm, and no one is worthy to open that book. And then Jesus arrives on the scene, and he's able to open up the book. And, and this book pictures kind of like the title deed for the land, uh, the, the world that he created. And it's sealed seven times. And, and as the seals are broken, it unveils the details about what is going to happen in the future. When the prophecy of Daniel is fulfilled here on earth and, and God's last plan is carried out the seven years of what's called the great tribulation and, and so then the details of that begin to to, to un, unleash itself and there, in chapter six there's the sealed judgments and, and they begin with a false peace and then final war with god and you remember as we for those who were with us we, we talked about those those things as you had the four horsemen of the apocalypse and you see uh, Satan, uh, unbeknownst to him, being used of God to direct his plan out, but really it's God's plan. And there, the whole world will rally around this evil one. And they think he's the one who solved the Middle East issue. But the problem, that'll be a false peace. And this evil one breaks, the, the Antichrist breaks the covenant with God. And in the midst of all this, the judgments of God begin to unfold. So much so that it says one-third of the, the world perishes. Now, e even just reading Revelation on the surface, when you hear that, and you read that, and you try to visualize what John experiences in the unveiling of the judgments that are, that are recorded in this book that are unsealed to see the devastation. I'm sure John takes a step back and says, What's happening? And, and why is it happening? How can I make sense of this? It just seems all it is is the wrath of God. And so in the book of Revelation, there, there are really three pauses that are hit. You know, one in chapter 7, one in chapter 10, and we'll see another one in chapter 16. All around the details of the judgments of God, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl judgments. And in chapter 7, if you, if you remember, what happened in chapter 7 is, is all of a sudden he says, take a step back. In the midst of all this carnage, I want you to understand that people still have another chance and another chance and another chance to respond to the kingdom of God message that has spread throughout the entire world. And I want you to know that in the midst of, of death everywhere, I'm going to handpick 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and they're going to they're preach the gospel everywhere. And they will be sealed. No one will be able to, to take their lives and destroy them. 
But not only that, not only will they be sealed and saved, but there will be people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, and they will be saved. So in the midst of the, of the judgment of God, there's the salvation of God. In the midst of all the carnage, there's God's compassion that is laid out. So much so that you can't even count how many that will be rescued. But after that first pause, where he explains more about what's happening in the midst of all that is happening and why it's happening in the midst of just seeing what is happening, he announces again the other judgments. He begins with the trumpet judgment. And the trumpet judgments, as I understand the book of Revelation, they unfold out of the sixth seal judgment. And, and they're more details of what's happening. We're now talking toward the last few months of this period of time. And these happen in rapid pro- progression, and they're devastating. But in the midst of this, and just not going through that message as well, it now says one-third of the population perishes. And again, if you're you're feeling it all, you're thinking, this is overwhelming. If you take one-fourth and one-third, you're talking about basically one-half the population has experienced destruction and death. And even in the midst of that, not only is there physical destruction, there's spiritual destruction. Uh, out of the abyss, the demonic forces are coming out, and they, they torture for five months people on the planet. So much so that they just cry out for death and for relief. And so in the midst of this, you, you have John just kind of probably just being overwhelmed. What's happening, and why is it happening? And so with this, you have the introduction to the second pause. And so what I want to do quickly this morning is, is just have us, you know, stop, look, and listen to in the midst of all that God is doing, where the wrath of God is poured out, how, do we, how can we make sense of how God wants people to respond, even us to respond, when that time comes, when God begins to take his power and his goodness and begin to, to right all wrongs. So beginning with Revelation chapter 10, I just want to, I want to get some things that I think can be both comforting and challenging. Revelation 10, beginning in verse 1. I saw, this is John, another strong angel coming down out of heaven. And he'd seen all kinds of angelic messengers, and that's what an angel is. Beings created by God. So it was just another angel. But he describes this angel as a strong angel, powerful angel. These angels kind of look like Jesus, but they're not anywhere near Jesus. But they have that same uh, majestic look about them. Uh, This angel was clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was on his head. Now, a lot of times when we think about people in heaven, or people that are very good here on earth, we think uh, on the top of their head they have a what? A halo. Well, that's, that's what I'm talking about, a rainbow around their head. You probably can see that on me right now, right? You can all see that. Look a little harder. All right. So th- this, this was a halo on this angel, okay? And it was multicolored like a rainbow. And if the cloud often is a symbol of the judgment uh, coming as God descends from heaven from, with a cloud, uh, the, the rainbow symbolizes in the midst of God's judgment, God's mercy, because the rainbow was the symbol put up in in the skies that God would no longer bring judgment upon this earth by, by the floods from heaven and the floods beneath the earth encompassing the entire planet and bringing death to this planet. So there's mercy in the midst of judgment. This angel represents that. And his face was like the sun. And so 
Uh, so as Moses was in the presence of God, and remember his countenance just shone so much so that he would put a veil on at times to, to hide that glow. Not only can you see my halo, you probably see that, that glow. No, you don't see it. All right. Well, anyway, when, when choice servants or choice angels were in the presence of God, God manifested his impact on them in demonstrative ways. And so he had the, the, the rainbow halo. He had the clouds surrounding him. His face had the countenance of being with God and his feet like the pillars of fire, power. And then we have the details of the vision. He says, and he had in his hand a little book which was open. And he placed it, his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And, and what we're going to see in this book is, is God kind of unfolding the why and the what about all that's happening. And he, and he pictures about God's control and what he's doing. And I put it in your outline this way. God is taking it all back and putting everything under his control. And how does he illustrate that with this messenger from heaven? And a messenger from heaven is a messenger from God. This is a representative of God. And just like Columbus, when he went over the ocean's blue, and whenever he put that, whatever he put, you know, his flag on the, the land he, he landed on, he took it for, uh, claimed it for the land, that sent, the country that sent him, probably the land of what? Spain or Portugal, wherever it was. I forget where Columbus came from, right? So anyway, he, he, you know, he, you know, he came from Spain, and he, and he put that down. He's, I'm claiming this. And as, as God sent this angel, he pictures and he says, you know, the, right foot goes on, the right foot goes on the sea, is that right? The right foot goes on the sea and is left on the land. And this powerful angel says, oh, look, at, I'm taking everything that's on this planet and it's either water or it's dirt and it's all of God's. And, and part of that whole issue where we wrestle well, how can a great, powerful God allow the heartache and pain and the evil that happens on this earth, the rear ending of things much worse than getting bumped by a car behind you? And God is saying, the reason is you need to look back in the storyline. When I created everything, it was good and it was very good. It was idyllic. There was no sin in this world. Everyone lived in a garden of Eden. And you rebelled against me. And you followed not the voice of the Holy One, but the evil one. And, and since then, that evil one is now the prince of the power of the air, of the world. And, and even when Satan tempted Jesus, he said, look, if you'll, you'll bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Because at that moment, he thought that he had control of all the kingdoms of this world because God had given him such a leash of influence upon this planet. And there's going to come a time where God's going to say, okay, it's now over. I'm coming back, and I'm taking everything back, and it's now under my rule. And, and so as we wrestle with the pain and heartache of our lives or our loved ones' lives, we need to be comforted as well as challenged. Comforted because God is still in control. But he will not take ultimate control in terms of everyone's experience until he comes again. And that's true whoever's in the White House, whoever's in the Congress, whoever's in the Supreme Court. And we can influence as much as we want and can and pray for and should. But ultimately, this place will not experience God's kingdom here on earth until he comes, until he lays claim. Be comforted and challenged. Secondly, 
verse 3. And he cried out, this is the strong angel, with a loud voice. doesn't sound like God whispers too much. Most people, when they talk about God speaking to them, God spoke to me in a still, quiet voice. Why doesn't anybody say, he spoke to me in a loud voice? Right? Um, most, you know, when God speaks, he speaks to you in written words. Okay? Um, anyway, he cried out with a loud voice. It says, when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Do you ever read the Bible? This is a good way to read the Bible. Read the Bible and, and observe what it said, and they said, Well, what, what did you just say, and why did you say it? This is one of those statements you go, This that on the surface doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, he is revealing truths to John so he can communicate truths to people back then and to people now, right? That's why we read this book. And so what he writes down are the things God tells him or reveals to him or lets him see. Now he's listening to the strong angel, this angel who roars like a rhyme. These seven peals of thunder are probably representative of other angels or other voices from heaven, representatives from heaven that say, okay, I'm speaking again in a loud voice, an authoritative voice, and I'm giving you some information, some details. Now, after he heard them, he was told not to write them down. You think, why do, why do you get to hear it if you couldn't write it down? Here's my simple observation of this. We understand that God is giving out some information on a need-to-know basis. A need-to-know basis. Have, have you ever uh, been frustrated that some people know things you don't know? Have you ever been frustrated with, you know some people know some things you don't know and they don't want to tell you? Have you ever had people frustrated with you? They want information from you and you don't feel you have the liberty to tell them? Or even the ability to explain it to them? Okay, anybody been a parent? Anybody been a child of a parent? Okay, or a child underneath a parent? I, I, all these types of things. Have you ever been, have you ever been related to the government? <laughs> you know, I mean, all this need to know basis. And, and, and that can be one of the most frustrating things in life. But let me just try to comfort and challenge you. There are certain things in life you're just not going to find out about until you get there. All right? And, and for whatever reason, he recorded these words for us that he told John something. And he said, now don't get to, you don't get to write this down. Don't let anybody know what you, what you experienced. And that's not the first time God had done that. He did that to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 12. He did that to the Apostle Paul went up to heaven. When Paul went up to heaven, he didn't get to write a book about it and put it on the bestsellers list and get a lot of money. He said, you're going to get to experience it, but no one else gets to experience it. And, and so as you go through life and you wonder, why, can, why, is, why won't God just speak to me and explain it to me? And there's two reasons. One, need to know basis. You probably don't need to know. He doesn't reveal that to you. And normally he reveals it in his word. And then secondly, let's, let's humble ourselves. We probably wouldn't be able to comprehend it if he told us. I think it's in Job 35, 7. That's exactly what he talks about. That there's certain things you just won't understand. So be comforted by that as well as be challenged. Okay? Doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. That's where most of us are at as it relates to some of the details of God's plan. Does that, does that make sense? All right. Thirdly, 
God is going to finish revealing unexplained mysteries. Now, I'm going to say almost the exact opposite because it's here in the text. Look at verses 5 through, through 8. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. And you can kind of try to picture this. This is an amazing experience. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who, cha- who, changed, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. So this angel says, okay, I'm going to tell you something that's so important for you. This is information you're supposed to know that is so true. I'm swearing to the God who created everything that this is true. Now, there's a whole other Bible study we could talk about. Well, when does the Bible say you're supposed to use oaths and when not to use oaths? Is it wrong to swear on the Bible or swear on God's name or where it might be? The, the whole point of, of not swearing by God's name is, is, is the emphasis of saying, if you're a person that you can't be trusted, then don't, don't be swearing on people's names. Either you tell the truth or you don't tell the truth. But if you're going to be telling something that's almost so weighty that you've got to appeal to someone higher than yourself, that's, that's okay. It was done by Abraham. It was done by uh, people in the Old Testament. Isaac is done by Apostle Paul. Uh, it's, it's even done by you know, Jesus in Hebrews, I think, 6.13, where he, he swears to himself that what he's saying is true. And this is what this angel does here. This, this, is, this is true in saying this. The time in which we all wonder, why doesn't God move and deal with evil? It's going to happen. And it's going to happen at this time when you see all these things come to place. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Now, what is the mystery? The mystery mystery in the the Bible is, is things that God has already decided on but hasn't presently revealed to the people throughout all of history. There are various mysteries that people in the Old Testament did not understand, did not get the information about. But then in the New Testament, he began to reveal them. And, and this is a mystery looking into the future. There is going to be a time. Many people when, when, people say, well, if Jesus was supposed to come, how, how come it's taken him so long? And, and they were saying it back then. And, and now I say, okay, I want you to understand, this is the parameters about when Jesus is going to come. And let me just, I don't have time to, to explain each one, but there are, here are certain of the mysteries that are recorded in the Scripture. The mystery of the kingdom. You know, obviously the people of Israel thought they were the kingdom. And then, then God said, hey, it's much broader and bigger than you think you are, that it is. And it's, it's, it's such a kingdom that someone would, all of Matthew 13 explains that thing which had not been revealed. It, it is revealed that the kingdom is so special that if you, if you saw this one pearl of great price, you'd give everything for it. If you saw this treasure that's buried in the heaven, you'd give everything for it. If you understood that this, this kingdom is entered into not by ethnic race, but because God throws out the seed, and that seed which finds ground that, that, that comes to fruit, those will be brought into the kingdom. And there's the mystery of the rapture. And the mystery of the rapture, many people question, well, why do you believe in the rapture? Because it's in the Bible. And why isn't it throughout the Bible? Because it used to be a mystery. And in Matthew chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery, something you didn't know about before, but now I'm telling you, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 
And so we, we as God's people, we don't look forward to this tribulation looking at how can we be prepared for it by building bomb shelters or throwing up food or you know, whatever might, getting guns into our, you know, we're, we're not going to be fighting during this period of time. We're looking for Jesus to return. And that was a mystery, that Jesus is coming for his people and will be changed instantly. And there's other, other mysteries, the mystery of blind, uh, Israel's blindness. Israel thought just because they were uh, descendants of Abraham, they were just part of the kingdom. And, and then they couldn't imagine that God would go, go to non-Jewish people. But he is. He's, he's rescuing people of every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And there's going to be a blindness uh, in Israel's mind. The mystery of lawlessness and how that begins to perpetuate. Because the Holy Spirit is not, uh, will, will come to that point where he will not resist it as much. The mystery of Christ. It, it, you, know, you wonder, what, how, come, how come the people who should have recognized the Messiah more than anybody else, the Jewish people, how come they didn't get it? Because what they were expecting is, is not the one who came. And so there's the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the church, the mystery of God. The mystery of God is, is that God's plan will be decreed and, and it will come to pass. And then finally, be comforted and challenged by this. God is calling us to get a message out that, that can be bitter or sweet. And this is the experience of the Apostle Paul as he participates in the vision. I mean, uh, John. And it says this in verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard him saying, speaking with me and saying, take, eat, now take, go take the boat, excuse, go take the book which is open in his hand and the, and the angel who stands in the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel uh, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Now, can you imagine that? Here, you're participating, you're experiencing, you're seeing all these things, you're hearing all these things, and all of a sudden, you know that, that huge, strong angel that you're seeing, that little book that's in his hand? I want you to take that, and I want you to eat it. You say, eat it? What are you, what are you talking about? And so he, he takes it, and he eats it, and he gets two experiences. He gets bitterness, and he gets sweetness. In his stomach, it's bitter. In his mouth, it is, it is like, like honey. And verse 10, I, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and, and ate it, and on my mouth I, it was sweet as honey, and, my, and when I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, now what is he saying there? I mean, most of us think, what in the world are you talking about? What just happened, and why did it happen? He said, I want you to understand, this, this, is, this is all to picture for you what my people are to do. Take, take the message that's found in this book, this message that is to warn people that they can run to the Savior or they can run away from the Savior. There is judgment coming. I, I've got a message, and I want you to get this message out everywhere. And this message will either produce sweetness, like honey to the taste, or there'll be bitterness for those who reject it. And, and really, isn't, isn't that the message of the gospel? I mean, it, 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 it's so comforting, and it, it's so uplifting, it's, so fr it, it's su such a freeing message. But then when you recognize those who reject it, how bitter that is. People can be rescued from the judgment or they'll experience the judgment. 
the, the invitation is offered to all those who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But there are those who have rejected the message and God's hand will be upon them and judgment will be forever. What's the point this morning? There, there are times in our lives we've got, we got to just hit pause. What's happening? Why is it happening? How, how, how am I supposed to make sense of this? And God said, okay, in the midst of everything that happens, I want you to understand I, I'm in control, but I'm not going to ultimately be in control until I come back and take everything back. So don't be surprised when you get rear-ended, your brakes go out. Or some things much more serious than that. I want you to understand when you're confused about what is happening, that some things are just a need-to-know basis, and you're not going to understand everything. And if some people understand things more than you do, that's all right. That's always been my plan. Just trust me. Thirdly, I want you to know, there are some things that I have revealed. I have revealed there is going to be a point in time where all things will be made right. Be made right. I want you to understand that the mystery of Christ, that he was both fully man and fully God, came to pass. I want you to understand that I, I, I started this whole thing called the church to bring all of God's people from every tongue and every tribe, every nation, every ethnic group to be part of God's family here, picturing what's going to happen for eternity in heaven. All those things that were confusing to the prophets in the past are, are starting to be made clear here. And, and I want you to, to, to understand that the challenge is that, that we, are, we are to get that message out. The people we care about and the people we know and the people we meet. There's good news. But if you reject it, there's bad news. Let's be comforted in it. But let's be challenged. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this book, there's so much in it that is overwhelming. And, and that should not catch us by surprise because you are unveiling the end of the ages. And yet in the midst of that which is unclear, there are things that are so clear. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has come and they don't know you, this is the day to make that choice to admit their need, their, their sin that turns them away from you and, and make a decision to turn to you. To believe in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead and paid the penalty for our sins. And then commit, commit to believe and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to follow him. And Father, for us who, who know you, might we be eager to get that message out. Might we live it and speak about it. Because you've come to both comfort and challenge your people to give a news out that's both good and bad to those who hear it. Help us to live for you faithfully. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. As we stand and sing this morning, if you'd like to talk.